Hey, this is Shannon from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron. Located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky, 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettlebell classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History, art, science, and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. On today's episode, we are discussing the science behind science fiction. Across the table is a man who has seen every science fiction movie ever made, and he himself is more science than fiction, Jason Creekmore. How are you, man? That's a big statement, because I am a lot of fiction. Are you really? <laughs> Quite a bit. I like science fiction, though. I have my suspicions that you're a robot. Is that true? He is on to us. <laughs> Heard you over there muttering earlier, oil can, oil can, oil can. Oh, man. Battery so, low. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, we, I've seen a lot of these science fiction films, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to this episode. I have been. I really enjoyed the research. It's always fun to kind of go back and revisit yep. these classics. We talked about a lot of different science fiction movies on this podcast. Oh, the yeah. Terminator. In different ways. Yeah. Back to the Future. But we, for the most part, have some fresh ones here. Today. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So we'll just hop right into it. Science has long played a part in science fiction films, but how much is science and how much is fiction? Our task today is to identify some of the most interesting movies in cinematic history that are fictional, but contain enough elements of real science to raise questions about humanity's real future. Some elements of these movies seemed impossible at the time the movies were actually created, but surprisingly, much of the technology in these films exists in some form today, whether it has been fully realized or is just now being explored as a real possibility. So let's explore the science of science fiction, and let's begin with the 2002 movie named Minority Report. You ever heard of this one? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise movie, man. Tom Cruise. I, I have watched this, but it's been a while. I, I kind of forgot some of the details. But It's a 20-year-old movie. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's, it, that's it's wild. good, though. <laughs> Minority Report is based on Philip K. Dick's short story and was a crime thriller set in a futuristic world where the police are able to predict crimes and stop them before they happen. That's scary just to say. I think maybe a little bit of that's happening today, maybe. It sure is. <laughs> to one, some degree. It, it is. And one of the most memorable scenes in the movie, for me at least, uh, occurs, it's toward the beginning, when a man catches his wife with another man. He, he flies into a rage, and he prepares to commit murder. Right. right. But does he succeed? He does not. Before he can commit the murder, the police bust into the house. They're like, you know, uh, repelling from the ceiling. Right, busting the windows. Yeah, yeah, they're just, you know, dropping from the ceiling, busting the windows, uh, you know, knocking down the door. They come into the house. They take the man into custody and arrest him for a pre-crime. The, the man just keeps shouting that he didn't actually do anything. But the police assure him that their technology has foretold that the murder would have occurred if they had not intervened. Isn't that weird? It's so creepy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I just remember him saying that, you know, I, I didn't do anything. Stop. Why are you arresting me? And they said, but it would have happened. You would have been guilty. We know with our technology that you would have killed this man. Isn't that wow, it's that's, just so bizarre? That's, that's hard to uh, wrap your mind around that, really. It is. Know? So obviously the movie itself is science fiction, but there are some scientific ties to the movie, including the concept of pre-crime. 
The topic of pre-crime is already becoming popular in the United States. Pre-crime is an attempt by law enforcement to intervene or uh, and sometimes punish or disrupt or incapacitate or restrict those deemed to embody future crime threats. The term pre-crime is a sort of a paradox, suggesting that both a crime has not occurred and that the crime that has not occurred is a foregone conclusion. <laughs> Okay, kind of wild. We'll go with that. Yeah. George Orwell introduced a similar concept in his 1949 novel, 1984, using the term thought crime to describe illegal thoughts which held banned opinions about the ruling government or intentions to act against it. Pre-crime in criminology dates back to the positivist school in the late 19th century and holds central to its ideology that there are born criminals who can be recognized even before they have committed any crime on the basis of certain psychological characteristics. Hmm. So there's already science out there, supposedly, that supports you can do a psychological profile of someone, and based on that profile, you can determine whether they have the intent to commit crimes. And based on that assumption... Perhaps you could even take some pre-measures against them. Maybe not to the extent that we see in Minority Report where you would just <laughs> swoop, in, swoop right? in and you would show up right at the right time and you know grab Michael Myers by the wrist <laughs> as he's going in. But certainly there's some psychological evidence out there that some people, I don't know if predisposed is the word, but you can identify when someone's about to go crazy. It's prob- uh, probably the most popular uh, example of that. Uh, I, at least what I'm thinking of is uh, like a serial killers, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, where they, there are certain characteristics that, that they seem to all portray. They all of. exhibit the, they all the have same those. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So Jason, what's the next science fiction movie up on our list? Shannon, next we have Contact. Uh, Contact debuted in 1997 and was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, it's based on the 1985 book, Carl Sagan, Carl Sagan, big time scientific mind, right? Yeah, genius guy. Uh, and and listen to this uh, star-studded assembly here: Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey, James Woods, John Hurt, Angela Bassett, and Rob Lowe. So all the people. So huh? how how could we go wrong? It's gotta be good. I mean, you know, it's late nineties. You have that crew. It doesn't get any better than that. No, I've, I've not actually seen this movie. Yeah, it's really good. I've I've read the book and I have watched the movie probably like three times. Okay. It's been a long time since I've watched it. It's probably been five years or so. Yeah. Uh, but I love this movie. Uh, it's it's a little bit different. So basically, it tells the tale of Dr. Ellie Arroway, uh, obviously portrayed by Jodie Foster, and she works for SETI, and that is S-E-T-I, and that's an organization that basically, a private organization that uh, searches for extraterrestrial life. Right. And that is a real connection. It's a to real thing. Real science. It's a real thing. So in this movie, she re- uh, receives a radio signal that uh, appears to be repeating prime numbers, like over and over and over. And like the odds of that being just a natural you know, occurrence is, is very odd. And so upon further investigation, she realizes that this uh, signal basically has directions in it. And the directions are to create a machine. Oh, and yeah. so it totally just blows, you know, blows everyone away. I mean, you know, it blows her away, her colleagues, the government. And so she talks everyone in. The government kind of obviously comes into play, and they begin to create this machine. So there's obviously, uh, or obviously all of a sudden, a lot of, like, uh, religious questions mm-hmm. that are posed. And, of course, that's Matthew McConaughey's character. And, then, you know, should we be doing this? Right. Uh, and so there's a lot of, like, yeah, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. And so she's wanting to be the one to go on this journey. So how this, it's not like a spaceship, it's, it's it's literally like a device where that it's like a sphere that's held way above, like high above the earth, and then it just sort of drops, and it and eventually goes into this net. But on its way down, according to the directions, it go it's supposed to go through some kind of a wormhole. 
Okay. All right. And so that's kind of the directions. And they have no idea if this is going to work or not, but they're following the directions that the aliens have sent Oh, this her. is what they told them to do. This is what, in the signal, they begin to realize these are directions for them. Okay. And so uh, so they, they build this. And so, obviously, Jodie Foster wants to be the one to go because it's, it's like a one-person type of uh, right. device here. Yeah. So uh, they, they have a big meeting. They decide that uh, someone else will go. So she's really down about it. And then right before that person is supposed to get in the device and and they fall to fall to the earth and whatever happens happens. They get another secret. Uh, no, a, oh. a a a religious zealot uh, destroys the machine, blows oh. it up, murders that person, and so then so you you kind of think the the movie is going to be like well so we're not really going to uh, get there right. Yeah. So then all of a sudden this rich uh, billionaire who's dying kind of comes up and he basically says hey. Uh, we've been watching things. You want another machine? We, yeah, we've built one. It's in Japan. Go, go to it right now. Oh, wow. And so his private company, sort of like SpaceX type thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, so he they, they build this second machine, and they allow her to do it. So they're, they're broadcasting this. It's a big, massive event. So she falls. And in the movie, you watch, and as soon as she begins to fall, she all of a sudden is on a beach. And, well, she she sees like some planets and stars and so forth, but then but then suddenly she's on a beach, and then her her dead father walks up to her, and they begin to talk, and she basically says, I, "I know you're not my father," and the being says, "Well, you're right, but this is the most comfortable way we could approach you." Mm. And they begin to have this conversation, and he just says, "Listen, this is this is your species' very very first step. You're a baby crawling." And eventually, you will be able to get to us, and we will have you know these great philosophical discussions. But right now, this is this is all you're really mentally prepared to, to, to handle. Right. And so then, all of a sudden, you know, Doctor Airway, Doctor Airway, and, and they're waking her up, right? And so she she begins, you know, she jumps up and she says, "Did you record all that? Because this is all being recorded, right?" Yeah. And they go, Doctor Airway, there's nothing happened. You dropped for just a few seconds, and then you hit the ground, and there's there's nothing happened. It's just literally static. So she says, "No, I." Was there for hours upon hours and hours and i had these discussions and and then it turns out that when they go look at the the recording that it's it's all static there's no recording but it's 18 hours of static oh and she only failed us for a few, just for seconds. A few seconds yeah oh wow and so you know really some of the, the connections to that uh are really the 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 concept of of a uh a radio signal. And so in 1977 at Ohio State University, they received what they refer to as the wow signal. I know we've talked about this in a previous episode. Yeah. And basically, they received a radio signal from space, kind of like in the movie, that probably is not random. It had a, uh, it had a pattern to it. And so this this particular radio transmission lasted for 72 seconds. And the reason it's called the wow signal is because the uh, engineer who was there that night when it was printed off literally wrote wow in, yeah. in, in, in the margins uh, beside of it. And so uh, radio waves are basically a type of uh, electromagnetic you know, radiation, and thus they move at the speed of light, So which is, a, which is a, it's hard to fathom. You really can't, which is you know about 186,000 miles per second. Uh, so that's fast. Yeah. So Shannon, something I've always thought was interesting is like, you know, let, let's say that, for instance, if, if, if we're going to communicate to somebody across the globe, okay, just for sake of the argument, and let's say that we were going to communicate with them uh, and we shot an arrow, okay, and let's say this arrow would just go on forever, right. okay? So let's say that on this day we, we shoot this arrow and the arrow has a message on it and it's going to take a year to get there. But let's say as it's traveling, like maybe a month later, we discover, hey, we have bullets. Oh, so now yeah. we can shoot 
this and it'll actually beat the first message that, that we had there. Yeah. And so I've always thought that's kind of interesting. Like with, with if, if, if UFOs are out there, you know, some of the messages that they have sent are perhaps hundreds, thousands of, of, of years ago that they, that the that's message w- you know, was originally sent. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing. You know, when, when you look at the sun, I think, you know, scientists says it takes about eight minutes mm-hmm. for sunlight to hit actually earth. So when you're right. looking at the sun, you're looking at it as it, as it was eight minutes ago. So yeah. you're, you're kind of theoretically looking back in time yeah in a way so so in theory if the sun were to cease to exist just literally it would take us eight minutes we to would, realize to see that yeah. the light was gone if someone just hit the switch we wouldn't know for eight minutes yeah yeah so, i think that's a really cool pretty point. cool yeah especially with the futuristic technology and how they may have sent messages you know years and years right. and years in that the we past. just haven't gotten yet it'd be funny if uh, some of the events that have occurred recently with that uh, you know people saying they've seen ufos and stuff yeah. uh they're just they showed up whenever the wow signal happened they said oh I, we forgot we even sent that but they're here now you know just gotta right. float yeah. around yeah. in yeah. space somewhere uh but that's really cool man it's that, a, that's a movie i'm gonna have to check it's out a, it's a really cool movie because you know you want this big spectacular exploding finish like visually it's not there but like psychologically and yeah. intellectually it's pretty cool at the end that's yeah. pretty that's pretty cool yeah. so what do you have next so next up i have a just a small budget film that was made in 1993 called jurassic park you ever heard oh, of this one yeah uh, a little bit kind of <laughs> yeah it, 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 i don't think it did very well right <laughs> <laughs> right uh but yeah i mean everybody knows jurassic park fantastic movie really set the stage for a lot of modern special effects visual effects and at the helm was steven spielberg who uh you know was he knows for, a thing or two he's known for a few science fiction films but in the film a fictional island becomes the setting of a biological experiment whereby a wealthy businessman and a team of genetic scientists have created a wildlife park of <laughs> de-extinct dinosaurs you know they, they used to be extinct now they're not not anymore and they're back and we're we're gonna make money out of this somehow <laughs> we're gonna call it jurassic park <laughs> sounds sounds great. Sounds like a winner. So the scientific question behind that is, is something like Jurassic Park actually possible? The classic concept for dinosaur resurrection starts with a DNA-filled mosquito. That's how it begins in the movie that has been preserved in amber for many, many, many years. Amber, Jason, is, is tree resin that is fossilized due to high pressure and temperature, which is experienced when the tree spends many years covered by layers of sediment. And you can find these in nature today, mm-hmm. re- recent ones, but you can also find some that are many, many, many years old. Uh, and over time, the resin hardens as a result of all of these years and forms a gemstone. It, it's really shiny. Uh, it's been coveted by humans for thousands of years. It's been written about in different histories, but I wondered to myself as I was doing this research, can a normal person, just an ordinary podcaster today, go and find one of these amber stones and perhaps purchase one that has something inside? The answer is yes, as long as you have access to the internet and can spell eBay. (laughs) (laughs) So they're on eBay. They're on eBay. Wow. And you can have an amber fossil on eBay containing a spider from the Cretaceous period for the low price of $60,000 plus $4 shipping. <laughs> now listen, if if they can work out the shipping part, now yeah. I just you know what I mean. I, I draw the line at that. The sixty thousand, okay. I'm not yeah. paying four bucks to have it shipped. Jason, wouldn't you think they throw in the shipping? <laughs> if if I ponied up and I gave them sixty thousand dollars today, and they stuck out their other hand and said, <clears throat> "Excuse me, sir." <laughs> 
<laughs> this is priority mail, don't Ma- you know? Maybe for $60,000, they could throw in like a T-Rex tooth or something. <laughs> Just something, yeah. But I thought that was amazing. You can find more recent ones for much cheaper than that. You can find like, I saw one that had a hornet encrusted in amber and it was you know fairly recent i don't know if you can like manufacture these or or maybe even people just make them out of like silicone resin or or something you know it's not like a natural process but yeah if you want the legit stuff and you want to see that spider sixty thousand dollars plus four dollars shipping that's it can be yours could could you imagine placing that order and then just like you know like four days later like just the fedex guy just pulls up and have a box here for it you know and then like you open it up and then this there you go it's in your hand that's all it is i kind of imagine it being like the size of like an ice cube uh, that's exactly I mean, what it is, is that what it is yeah, and it's okay. kind of got this orangish tint to right it. it's just a little gemstone you can see the spider i mean it doesn't look like anything different than what you would find outside in the garage it's just a spider wow sixty thousand and four dollar spider <laughs> <laughs> so the the dinosaur dna that could possibly be preserved inside of these amber entombed blood-sucking insects <laughs> Yeah, is of interest as DNA obviously contains genetic information for the growth and function of all living things. But unfortunately, Jason, amber usually preserves the bodies of dead insects, but it does not preserve the tissue. So it's unlikely you would find blood preserved in amber. It's a neat trick. You can right. you can see the husk of a little tiny insect, but it's unlikely they're going to have any tissue or blood. However, If we're wanting to get to the science behind this, blood residue has been found inside ancient insects. They just weren't found in amber. A few years ago, a paper came out that explained how blood was found inside a mosquito that, according to the paper, was roughly 45 million years old or around 20 million years after the dinosaurs died out. So not exactly the exact same time period as the dinosaurs, but pretty old. Right. Just missed it by a few million years. Just barely (laughs) missed it. Although this particular mosquito was not old enough to carry dinosaur blood, the idea that one day we might find a mosquito that is old enough from the paper, quote, isn't outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they said. I'm sure nothing would be. (laughs) Yeah. So if dinosaur DNA is found, what happens next? Can we actually do anything with it? I mean, it's it's a cool thing to say we found this prehistoric DNA, which is all of the genetic information needed to recreate a dinosaur. But what do we actually do? do with that i say we go get an island <laughs> and get ready we get us a nice jurassic park that's sign, right you know maybe maybe commandeer dollywood for <laughs> that down good. in tennessee yeah i was at dollywood yesterday yeah be a great place any for dinosaurs it. there uh no but i saw some eagles though okay yeah. very cool yeah, yeah. cool they, they have a roller coaster called eagle yeah, i think it's wild eagle wild eagle yeah i don't I mean. mess with that no. <laughs> you stay I, away from that i don't ride roller coasters i, I literally hold everyone's purses oh that's smart yeah. <laughs> yeah i know who i am you're a good guy so if dinosaur dna were found they would most likely be crossed with birds actually in order to reproduce a dinosaur since according to scientists birds are technically dinosaurs there's a whole theory around this that dinosaurs didn't become extinct because of a big global catastrophe they just turned into birds and flew away and i just saw one fly by i mean have you ever really like looked at a chicken (laughs) yeah they don't they don't really move in a like a natural way really they don't yeah they're different yeah chickens kind of have a wily look about them (laughs) like they're into something they're just a little different i mean their eyes and how they sort of move their heads they're they're, that's the thing they're kind of weird they creep me out a little bit yeah maybe descendants of velociraptors i don't know (laughs) maybe (laughs) up to no good for sure uh if they were not bred with uh, birds they might also be crossed with crocodiles because crocodiles have a common ancestor with dinosaurs a lot of people believe that crocodiles are basically dinosaurs that were left over from the past 
Right, yeah. That's kind of interesting. I've read that a lot, yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, DNA breaks down over time, and since the dinosaurs have been gone for so long, it's unlikely that any dinosaur DNA remains today. However, some scientists continue to search for it just in case. You never know. You never know. Might as well. Find it. Yeah. So, Jason, what's up next? So, next up, I have a movie called Deep Impact, uh, which came out in 1998 and stars Robert Duvall, Elijah Wood, and President Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. you got to have Morgan Freeman's voice, right? He, he can do anything. He man. can, yeah, especially good at, at, at being president. Yeah. And so, basically, this movie is that Elijah Wood is like a middle school, early high school uh, amateur astronomer, and uh, he, along I think with a, a professional astronomer, they discover this uh, asteroid that's coming to Earth, and they call it into the government. They're like, ah, surely not, and they like, oh crap, we're in, we're in <laughs> trouble, right? Yeah. And it's come, and so they they have like I forgot, you know, it's either weeks or months i think it's months to get ready but they they know it's coming toward earth and it's like seven miles wide and they basically know where it's going to hit and uh so they start coming up with these you know methods to destroy the asteroid so obviously it's going to be we're going to shoot nuclear missiles at it and we're going to blow it up you know soon enough to where it'll, you know it'll blow up into two parts and they'll just kind of both bypass earth right and, oh, sure. and all as well yeah the old asteroid strategy that's from right. the classic arcade game yeah absolutely <laughs> But what happens is that just as a uh, as a backup plan, the government uh, has a backup plan, right? Yeah. And so the backup plan is to uh, basically have have a lottery where they decide. And I forgot the ages again, but it's like maybe you know birth to like forty years old, I think maybe. And if you're in that range, then they're going to like pre they're going to like uh, sort of select whatever it is, 200,000 random people. And then you report like in the middle of America and go under these caves and that's it. And they know everyone else is going to die. So they, they shoot the missiles up, they, they blow it apart, but unfortunately it kind of, they knock it off its axis. The bigger part's going to miss earth. The smaller part is still going to hit earth. And while mm. earth will go on, there's going to be millions of people that are going to die. Yeah, and so they go ahead and they enact this uh, kind of arc type thing where they bury people under the ground, and so uh, so that the movie kind of plays out from there. And of course, there's like some some love interest type thing, and then there's some like uh, bonding of, of children that have kind of went away, and then they, they come back and, and all that. Are but, there any hobbits at all? You said Elijah Wood. I thought <laughs> no, this, this was pre to Mordor. This was maybe. pre pre Mordor. Right? Oh, okay, it may look like Mordor after <laughs> after the, after it hits, uh, but in terms of a of a connection to to real science, uh, I've read. Several Several articles, and honestly, uh, everything I've read basically says if something like that were to occur, it's coming to Earth that they they would try to shoot it with missiles. That that's probably uh, a legitimate, uh, rational uh, oh, wow. method to try to uh, save mankind. Yeah, uh, they might also try to preserve people and and you know try to keep at least tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of people uh, safe, like underground, like a like a, a big massive societal bunker. That's also uh, very plausible. And then in terms of the asteroid itself. If you'd mentioned the dinosaurs a while ago. So, yeah. uh, you know, the one theory that a lot of scientists believe is that about 65 million years ago, there was a big comet or, or a, an asteroid that hit Earth, particularly in, in Mexico, in the Yucatan Peninsula. And it's, it's known as the Chicxulub Crater. Hmm. And this particular uh, asteroid that hit was approximately 25 miles in width. All right, so just a big 25-mile wide rock. That's a big old rock, man. Hurling toward Earth. Uh, it hit uh, in modern-day Mexico. And today, that particular crater uh, is 93 miles wide in diameter and 12 miles deep. 
Wow. So scientists believe that the the asteroid itself was about 25 miles wide, uh, but the crater that it left was about 93 miles wide in diameter, 12 miles deep. And uh, scientists are almost certain that that's, that's what's occurred. And, of course, easily that has a connection back to the science in terms of the science fiction for Deep Impact. That's awesome. Uh, and a really cool uh, elementary, middle school type of uh, science fair thing you can do at home. You yeah. can get a cake pan, put some uh, flour in it, and, and sort of like you'll smooth it over. And uh, you the the uh, pan can represent like roughly 3,000 miles. So from like coast to coast uh, on, on the United States. And then you could drop a different size marble and like from different distances. And then you have to do the uh, equations for that. But when you drop it, you see the flower pop oh, out. Wow. And yeah. so you can see, okay, if, if it hit in Kentucky, the debris would actually land in Missouri or whatever it would be, right? And oh, you can do the really measurements. Cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. You know what would be a really cool way to save Earth if there's an asteroid coming? What's that? I think you should go pluck Bruce Willis off of an oil rig, put, oh. put him on a rocket, send him to the asteroid, and let him just dig into that thing. And then maybe Aerosmith can sing Don't a little bit. Climb. <laughs> That's yeah. the perfect way. I don't know if that's scientific or not, but if we have to go out, I want to go out singing Stephen to Stephen Tyler. Stephen Tyler, don't want miss a thing. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right, Shannon. Uh, after that uh, horrible rendition of Stephen Tyler, <laughs> I think it's probably a good time for a break. So let's talk about some uh, slapdash apparel. Yeah, let's get out of here for a minute. <laughs> Hey everyone, we're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice Slapdash hoodie or a Slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a Slapdash cup. (laughs) We also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store store we're back and we are discussing the science behind various science fiction films we've already discussed a few here and we're getting ready to head into the home stretch with a movie that i really liked as well as uh, there was a book that started this all off it's called the martian jason are you familiar with the martian you actually made me familiar with The Martian. I sure and did. You're the reason that I read the book and watched the movie. It's it's a good book. It's a great movie. And Jason, The Martian might be the most scientifically accurate sci-fi movie ever made. Perhaps. Perhaps. It's very, very interesting. It's really and good. Really good. Uh, it's a faithful adaptation of Andy Weir's novel of the same name, which itself was praised for its authenticity. The Martian takes a realistic look at how a lone astronaut would survive being stranded on Mars. Hence the name. Martian. So the first thing that was scientifically accurate, or at least scientifically plausible, was the, the way that the main character in the book conducted his farming. And Jason, you've recently become a big <laughs> fan of farming. So is that, is that an easy thing to pick up? Shannon, I'm, I'm close to becoming a professional farmer. I, I was really? amateur back like in May and June. Yeah. I've, I've kind of progressed there. I don't you know, if, a you, cucumber now, I don't know huh? if you've actually seen the, the, the three squash that I've picked. <laughs> They're pretty formidable. Are they good? Yeah, and I, and my peppers aren't bad either. Oh, okay. Do those peanuts turn out at all? Uh, that that's a September thing. Oh, okay. But they are growing. We have to keep us that, updated. They on appear that. to grow. Yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. So, Jason, if you were doing that same thing on Mars, um, you you may do it in this manner. All of the survival strategies used in the movie are supported by science, including how the main character Mark Watney farms potatoes on Mars using his own body waste as fertilizer for the food since there's no bacteria on Mars to help in sustaining plant life. That's commitment. That is commitment. Is is that the strategy you use? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so you're more I of the traditional mir- Methodist. Then, yeah, huh? as in like Miracle Grow. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit more inventive. out of a bag. Okay. So, uh, in addition to farming, also the the way that they use shelter and create shelter in the movie uh, is accurate. The inflatable base that Mark lives in, which is called the Hab in the movie H A B, is based on human exploration research analog called Hera. Uh, it's a self-contained habitat that NASA crews train in for long duration deep space missions so yeah they actually have these blow up sort of tents that are used as scientific bases for research in the same manner in which they use those in the movie and i find that fascinating because i always imagine that on mars you would sort of be building materials out of whatever was there i didn't right. think you would kind of like take st- it with you sticks and rocks and stuff yeah, like, yeah if there like, are sticks no trees. if there are sticks and rocks and i think one of the uh, aims for one of the mars missions was to pick up some of that soil and determine whether it would be feasible to build clay out of that soil so that when astronauts arrived on Mars, they could actually fashion some bricks and basically build a base once they got there. That's really cool. Yeah, that's one of the limitations of the technology that prevents us from getting there, uh, in addition to just needing like unlimited amounts of fuel, (laughs) which is a big, big problem, but uh, also just being able to store all the stuff we would need to sustain life for the amount of time that we would need it. So it would be a lot better and more feasible if we could actually go there and just build the things when we get there rather than having to be expected to to carry them across space. Yeah. So uh, the last thing that is scientifically accurate in the movie is the physics. In the movie, a maneuver called the Rich Purnell Maneuver is used, which is a physics strategy that uses the Earth's gravity as a slingshot to send a vessel back to Mars to save Mark Watney. And this is scientifically accurate because the maneuver is based on the gravity assist trajectory theory. All right. It was conceived back in the 1960s by Michael Minovich and later used by NASA for the 1977 Voyager launches. And this is just the idea that you can sort of align yourself with these celestial bodies in such a way that you can kind of slingshot around them and, and build up speed. And they used this in Voyager, I think, in the 70s, whenever they were doing these Voyager missions, that something happened with maybe it was like uh, Jupiter, Saturn and Uranus, something like that. They, they aligned in a certain way that we won't see again until the uh, 22nd century. It was just like a perfect alignment of gravitational forces, and that enabled us to launch Voyager in the manner in which we did because it could sort of pull from those gravitational forces and get itself right. into a trajectory sort of, where it needed to be. Sort of save fuel, kind of. And right. to save fuel, yeah. yeah, and it could accelerate in that way. So that, in the movie, is scientifically accurate whenever they're using that hmm. maneuver to, to send a vessel back to save the main character. And the physics are so accurate in the movie that the movie has actually been used for instruction in physics classrooms due to its scientific accuracy. Really? Yeah. That's a pretty cool facet of the movie. It's a great, great movie. It's really good. So, Jason, what's the last movie up on our list? So, the last one I have is a movie, it's a little more recent, uh, in 2014 called Interstellar, and it's produced by Christopher Nolan and has some pretty big stars. Matthew McConaughey, again, he was in Contact, I mentioned a while ago. He's a sci-fi guy, huh? That's right. And this one, he's sort of the main character. Right. So, uh, McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, and Michael Caine. And so, uh, I don't have you seen this movie? Oh, yeah. Great okay. movie. It's only like nine hours long, though. It's, it's kind of, it's sort of a marathon, <laughs> right? So, yeah. uh, so basically, the plot of, of, of humankind's not doing very well, right? No, there's I like mean, a second dust bowl or something like, going on. Yeah. There's food shortages. Craziness. Everyone's really worried. 
read. And so scientists are trying to figure out, okay, you know, what now? That we may have to leave this here Earth, right? So yeah. we have to go somewhere. So they start coming up with theories. Like one theory is, is there any way to, to literally just, let's all bus off this place, right? Let's just, let's just be transported. Sure. Another theory is that maybe we can't do that, but maybe we could spin or send uh, several people there with maybe 5,000, 10,000 uh, fertilized uh, embryos. And then they're responsible for hatching those and letting them grow up and kind of repopulate a, a different world, right? Right. So, but but you know, where's going to be second Earth? So that's sort of where Matthew McConaughey's character comes into play. And so they begin to basically just explore space. It's sort of like Star Trek in a way. They begin to explore these new worlds and uh, and obviously like a lot of different uh, you know items and issues in regard to physics kind of come into play. Uh, I'm not going to ruin the entire story for you, but uh, there, <laughs> well, there's there, only nine hours of there's it. only nine yeah there's only nine hours of it. But at at one point uh, there is something called time dilation mm-hmm. that comes into play, and time dilation basically is where t- time is not constant, right? So like time actually runs slower uh, as it's if like okay so for instance if, if I'm in a ship right and I am going toward a body that has super gravity yeah. my time will run slower more slowly than yours would on earth right if my gravity is is more intense right because the concept of space time right right that, that yeah. gravity sort of bends, kind of bends time. it that's yeah. exactly right so like for instance uh if you're on earth here maybe one year may pass but if i'm going through if i'm passing by some kind of celestial object that has a lot more gravitational pull maybe for you it's a year maybe for me it's like a week yeah. And so in the movie that plays out, but we're not talking about a week, we're talking about like decades. Right. And so what it seems like maybe your weeks or months actually are, you know, ends up being a, a very long time. And so that the obvious, you know, science connection to that is that is real. I mean, time dilation, obviously we haven't been able to prove it to that extent. In the movie he's going by like the event horizon of a black hole. Right. And so that's where the, the massive time difference, you know, comes into play, but like we have been able to prove that that in theory that concept is correct even here on earth uh, we see that not not only with with astronauts but just regular jets regular yeah, plane that right. there are machines that can measure nanoseconds difference and so although they may be 30 35,000 feet in the air and fly for hours that might only equate to like a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a second sure uh, but in theory that is correct and if that same those same principles were sort of played out on a much larger scale you would see the same results that could really mean the difference that to some somebody else maybe in their mind in their time they've been gone a month but in time on earth that may be five years yeah that's kind of crazy and if you want to hear more details about that listeners should check out our episode on the science of time travel because we dig deeply that's a really good topic it is really good so 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 time dilation is a is a real thing yeah it is very cool and what you mentioned about leaving earth and trying to find another planet to you know form a habitat that's going on today we've quoted elon musk in the past both in our mars episode uh, as well as others where he said that we if we want to survive perhaps we have to become a spacefaring species yeah. I think uh, one of his more famous quotes, and you can find this on YouTube in one of his TED Talks, he says that Earth is the cradle of humanity, but you can't stay in the cradle forever. Right. So that's kind of philosophical in a way. Right. But It's also sort of scary. It's kind yeah. of scary. Uh, and, and to know, too, that just, I guess it was just a couple of days ago as of this podcast episode, that we just launched another Mars rover. 
uh, right. out into space. And the ultimate purpose of this, you know, that these rovers will gather samples of rocks and dirt and they'll analyze that and send beautiful pictures that back <laughs> to us. I mean, you can get it in 4K resolution now, but the ultimate purpose is to perhaps one day send people to Mars. And I think in our Mars episode, we said that maybe even by 2030 is when Elon Musk yeah. and maybe even the Trump administration have announced that they would like yeah. to see people, a, a manned mission to I Mars. Mean, that, that's that's 10 years from, I mean, if you'd have told me 2030, like in 2008, yeah. but it's 2020 now. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's like, a decade that's, away, man. That, yeah, that's it's just crazy to think about that. It sure is. So there are a lot more movies uh, that, that deal with science fiction and, and have interesting science elements as well. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we've talked about a lot of these. Of oh, course, yeah. Terminator goes into the whole time travel aspect as does back to the future and we could have drawn on a lot of different inspirations here but the ones we chose i think were really interesting and it was fun to revisit some of these so jason is there anything else you want to mention about the science of science fiction before we close this one out i think at some point we are going to have to take a closer look at star wars and star trek (laughs) that's coming so for everyone you know everyone who is a big fan of either star wars or star trek yeah that's coming we're We're, gonna do that we're planning something special for those two franchises. I thought about doing Star Wars or Star Trek for this, but it was more of a franchise, and I knew, too, that we wanted to do, like, a bigger episode right. at some point, so I stayed away from that. But I thought it would be cool to look into, like, the concept of lightsabers or blasters because yeah. oh, there's yeah. some laser technology out there, right. and it can cut things... Yep. apparently. So that might be a cool thing to, to look at in the future. But thanks to everyone who is joining us each week. Thank you for sharing the podcast and subscribing. Please follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at SlapdashPod. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.